What's one thing you'd like to be able to say about yourself at the end of your life? I wanted to give you a moment to ponder that question. Because how you answer that question reveals a lot. It can reveal to you what your priorities are. It it can reveal what you think the purpose of your life is. It can also reveal who you focus on. Do you focus on yourself? Did your answer focus on others? Did your answer focus on God? The answer to that question can tell us a lot about how we see life and how we spend our life. And I came up with this question after reading a key passage. Um, And this key passage has uh, been a passage that has influenced us as a pastoral team as we think about the future of this church. And we're going to, uh, we've really enjoyed Corinthians going through Corinthians, but we're going to park that for a week, uh, this week and next week. And I want to unpack with you John 17. So if you've got, I'm not going to say if you've got your Bibles, grab your Bibles, open them up, whether that's digital or paperback. So I I like the paperback myself. Um, But John 17 is where we're going to land. And... John 17 and verse 1. When you got it, say got it, so I know you're with me. Good to hear. I I like a bit of interaction, so don't be afraid to give a bit of feedback. But uh, John 17 starts out with this. Jesus, when Jesus had spoken these words. Now, to give a little bit of context, this is towards the end of Jesus' life here on earth. He's just had the the last supper where he broke bread with his disciples and, and... and he's given them his final instructions and teaching and he's walked down the Kindred Valley and he, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he stops to pray. And it says here, when he'd spoken these words to the disciples, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father. Now, just that very first word, Father. Jesus doesn't call out Master or God or Lord. He speaks very intimately, very personally. And it, and it shows us an insight into the relationship Jesus had with his heavenly father. He said, Father, the hour has come. He's just about to be arrested and go to the cross. And he says, glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Isn't that just Jesus, the epitome of Jesus' life? He says, glorify the son. Why? Not that I can bask in the glory but that I may glorify you. Jesus' whole life was about glorifying the Father. And he says, glorify the Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life, to know God. Again, it's a personal, intimate relationship. To know God is to know life and life eternal. Okay, And and if you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. 
There's no doubt that God exists because Jesus existed. And Jesus said, when you look at me, you see the Father. And it says it here, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ in whom you have sent. And isn't it beautiful that each one of us and every person on the face of this earth can know God because of Jesus Christ. But verse 4 is where I want to land. Verse 4 says, Jesus says to the Father, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Notice he says, I glorified you. He said, he doesn't say, I will glorify you. He says, I glorified you, past tense, you on earth, having accomplished, having completed the work that you gave me to do. The work that the Father gave him to do, Jesus was sent on purpose to carry out a specific task and work and Jesus is saying, I've glorified you, Father, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. Now, what's that work? Jesus hasn't yet gone to the cross. On the cross, he will call out, it is finished. And that's the work of salvation for all mankind, right? Where Jesus on the cross pays the penalty for us, for our sin, so that we can be made right with God. And he says, it's finished. That work on the cross will be done soon. But here, Jesus is saying, I've completed the work you gave me to do. What's that work? Well, we get a glimpse of that. A couple of years ago, Jesus was in a place called Samaria. And um, I'm going to uh, journey a bit through the Gospels this morning because apart from Luke, the, Matthew, Mark and John aren't written in chronological order. They're written to make a theological point. So um, I'm going to go through the Gospels a little bit. And if you think I'm jumping around a that bit, that's because they're not written in time order per se. But anyway, a couple of years ago, Jesus is in Samaria and he sits down by a well and he has this amazing conversation with the Samaritan woman. Some of you know the story, right? Well, the Samaritan woman races into town because God, uh, Jesus has revealed who he is to her and the disciples come back out with some lunch for Jesus and say, Rabbi, you know, will you eat something? And in John chapter 4, uh, if you want to read along, it's in verse 32. Uh, he says, I have food to eat that, eat that you know nothing about, he says to his disciples. And the disciples are saying, well, who fed Jesus? And Jesus says these words, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. There it is again, to accomplish his work. So even a couple of years ago, Jesus knew that he had work to do and then right up here in the garden, he says, Father, I've glorified you having accomplished that work. What was that work? Well, that work was to make disciples who could make disciples, who could make other disciples, who could share the good news of who Jesus was with the world and to be sent out by Jesus to see this go right across the globe. And so today I have, have this question for us to look at. When we think of Jesus as a man, as he began his ministry, he started with nothing. He didn't have any 
huge building and, and massive programs. He didn't have a huge budget to work with. He started with nothing. It was him. He didn't have any disciples. John the Baptist was the big evangelist on the scene at the time. Yes, he had synagogues that he went to and preaching. But he started with nothing when it comes to being able to send out multiplying disciple makers. This would come, Jesus would send out multiplying disciple makers at the end of his life who were competent and confident and convicted to be able to share the gospel and this message to the world. But how on earth did Jesus go from nothing to something on a human perspective? How did he send people out? So interact with me a little bit here. What do you see? What do you observe Jesus doing to be able to send out these disciples? As you read through the Gospels, what do you see him doing? Teaching, absolutely. What else is he doing? Healing, yes. Calling, yeah, inviting people, yes. What else? What pictures come to mind when you think of Jesus walking on this earth? What did he actually do? Modelling. What was he modelling? How to pray. How to pray. Serving. Excellent. Showed us who God is. Wisdom. He, yeah, he corrected Pharisees and he brought wisdom of what the scriptures actually say. He loved people and people loved to be around him. Led by example. What else? Anything else come to mind? Sometimes we can get this picture that Jesus was this holy rabbi that just wandered around the land and preached wherever he went and did whatever he really wanted to do. And, and in a sense, some of that's correct, but Jesus was very deliberate. Jesus knew the work the Father had called him to do. That was his food. That's what energised him. That's what satisfied him and fulfilled him. And yet at the end of his life, he could say, Father, I've accomplished the work that you've gave me to do. And if you're going to complete a, a, a work, there's always a plan in place, right? If I want to concrete my driveway, I've got to think through, okay, what's the steps to concrete my driveway? What's well, the same for Jesus? He knew he would send out multiplying disciples. So one of the things we see Jesus doing first is he would connect he would connect with people and he would connect with uh, unconnected, lost people. He loved to hang around people who didn't know who he was, unreligious people and religious people. He would connect with people. And I love someone over here. What was your answer, Leonie? He would call them, yeah. He would invite people and, and the invitation we see him give to lost people is come and see. Come and see, come and check out who I am and turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 1 because I want you to see this on the pages of Scripture. John chapter 1 from verse 35. John chapter 1, 35. Tell me when you got it. Okay, the next day again John was standing with two of his disciples. Now what John is that? The big evangelist of the day, John the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples and he looked and Jesus was walking by. Behold the Lamb of God, he said. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? 
And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you'll see. He gave them this invitation. He called them into a relationship. Look, you want to see where I'm going, where I'm staying? Come and see. Come and be part of it. Is that the invitation we give people around us? Come and check it out. It's not long after. If you kept reading down that passage, you'll you'll see um, that his followers also gave that same invitation. In uh, verse 46, you see Philip saying to Nathanael, Come and see this guy called Jesus. He's from Nazareth. Um, Come and see. He's the guy that Moses talked about in the law. But was Jesus satisfied with just being friendly to people? Jesus was friendly to people. But why? Well, he was wanting to surface the seekers, those who were seeking the truth, those who were seeking answers, those who were seeking the Messiah, seeking to know who he was. He wanted to know who was, who was ready to receive him. And his goal was to win them to himself. He wanted people to understand exactly who he is because it, was, it meant the salvation of their souls. Right? And what invitation do we see him giving them? He gives them the invitation, the calling to repent and believe. Mark chapter 1. Turn with me there. Really a quick passage here. Mark 1. We read, uh, Now after John was arrested, from verse 14, as John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus took up the message of John the Baptist, the same message that John the Baptist was preaching, Jesus started preaching it because John the Baptist is now locked up. So God had prepared the way for Jesus to step in with this same message and the message was about himself. And Jesus' heart broke for those who didn't know and have a relationship with God. And he lived his life on this earth in a sacrificial way that would eventually lead him to the cross to make a way for us all to know and be made right with God. And this this was Jesus' heartbeat. He wanted people to turn away from the life that they were living, a life leading to death and destruction. And he said, repent, turn, turn and follow me. You want to experience eternal life? It is to know me and to know God. This is the life that brings you peace in hard circumstances when you get hard news. Jesus wanted to win them to himself because he loved them. He cared for them and he invited them into deeper relationship. Don't just come and check me out. Come and trust in me. Believe in me. Live with me. But he didn't want to stop there. Remember, his goal was to send out multiplying disciple makers to the ends of the earth. So what do we see Jesus doing? Well, with his new believers, we see Jesus building them up, building them up in the spiritual foundations. This is where we see him teaching them how to pray. Uh, The disciples knew that Jesus had a real lifestyle of prayer because the only time we see his disciples asking him to teach them something was Lord teach us how to pray because when you pray things happen so Lord teach us how to pray and is that our heartbeat do we have this lifestyle of prayer do we depend on God 
to answer prayer? Do we listen to God in prayer for his direction and wisdom? Do we spend time in just quiet reflection over the word and say, Lord, teach me through your word in prayer? This is what Jesus did. He built them up and his invitation was to follow him. Time and time again in scripture, we hear him say, follow me, follow me. He's saying that to his new believers. Again, he's inviting them into a deeper level of relationship with him. Leave it. Come and follow me. But I've got to do this. Okay, but just come and follow me. That constant invitation Jesus was giving his disciples. Because he wanted them to become maturing believers. He didn't want them to stay as babes that could be rocked and knocked about by every different teaching and new idea that came about. He wanted them to be solid in their faith. So what did he do with the maturing believers? Well, he went on to train them. He went on to train them to be fishers of men. In Matthew 4, turn with me to Matthew 4. Again, I want you to see this on the pages of Scripture in Jesus' life rather than just listen to me speaking here today. Matthew 4, I'm going to read from verse 18. Who's got it? Got it. Excellent. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. This is a very different invitation to the general follow me for new believers. This is a very specific invitation Jesus is giving his, what we would probably call his ministry team. (laughs) Come and follow me and I will make you, I will develop you, I will train you, I will help you become fishers of men. I will show you what it looks like to share your story with people. I'll show you what it looks like to be able to explain the gospel. I will train you how to do this. I will take you, I will be with you, I will model it for you. Come and follow me. I will make you. I will train you to be fishers of men. This is how important the gospel message was to Jesus. He knew his time was limited. He knew his reach was limited. So he had to develop others to take the message. And so we see him going into the synagogue, preaching the gospel, explaining it to religious people. He's showing his disciples that there's uh, religious people that need to understand the gospel and be saved. He took them into Peter's house and we see him uh, interacting with Peter's mum who was sick and bring healing and then the village heard and they were bringing all their sick people and Jesus remained there, ministering in that circumstances, showing his disciples that there's people in your family situations, in in your relatives that need to know Christ. He took them out into other villages, in new places, and he's training his disciples. You know, there's people elsewhere, in other towns, in other cultures, other people groups that need to hear the gospel. There's people there that need to be saved too and come into the kingdom. He even interacted with the lepers and the lame, and he's saying, you know, these these people that are considered untouchables in society, there's people amongst them that need to be saved. They need to hear who I am too. They need to know that I'm the Messiah. And then he went to Levi and he has a party with Levi's mates. And the religious people come and say, why is he hanging out with those crew for? And Jesus says, he pleads with him and he says, you know, it's not the well that need a doctor, it's the sick. It's the sick that need a doctor. 
And there's people in our workplaces, in our universities, in our schools that need to hear the good news of Jesus, who are sick and need to hear the healing power of the gospel, who need to understand who Jesus is. So he trains them up to be fishers of men because he wants them to be disciple makers themselves. He wants them to own the ministry. He wants them to be able to multiply. And this is where he invites them into a deeper level of um, relationship again. And he appoints the 12 and he begins to send them out two by two into other towns and villages. In, in Matthew 10, Matthew 10, we read, uh, Matthew 10, verse 1, And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and affliction. And then verse 5, he says, These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them where to go, what to do. If we turned over to Luke, Luke chapter 10, we then see a bit later on, Jesus sending out 72 others. So he sends out the 12 to go into other places to multiply. And then he sends 72 others out in verse 17 of Luke 10. It says the 72, uh, sorry, beginning of chapter 10 of Luke. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And if we read on, he gives them very specific instructions. Don't get sidetracked. Don't be distracted. Stay focused and on task. And then in verse 70, 17, we read, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. It was no surprise to Jesus when he later on said to them, I'm sending you. Just as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. And Jesus' whole aim was to be developing, multiplying disciple makers who would hear and understand before he went to glory, go and make disciples of all nations. A very deliberate work that Jesus was on about. A very relational work. He was building a relational, disciple-making environment and inviting people to be part of that, calling them into a deeper level of understanding of who he was, calling them to a deeper level of commitment, calling them to, to realign their life's priorities to his priorities, calling them to see the purpose of their life to his purpose of making disciples to turn from focusing on themselves to focusing on others and ultimately God's kingdom agenda. And so Jesus' aim was always to meet people where they were at and move them to the next level. For the seekers, he wanted to win them. For new believers, he wanted them to become maturing believers. And then on to disciple makers who could explain the gospel, constantly meeting people where they're at and moving them to the next level so that he could say at the end of his life, I've completed the work that he gave me to do. Yeah, well, that's all well and good, Aaron, but what's all that mean for us? Chris said last week, it's good to ask the so what question. And so what's this mean at Raymond Terrace Community Church? 
and our disciple-making pathway. Well, there's two things I want you to see specifically. Every person here, every single one of us fits somewhere in that disciple-making environment. Can you see where yourself is? Where do you see yourself in that environment? And our goal as a leadership team is to respond to Jesus' command in making disciples of all nations. Our desire is to send out multiplying disciple makers from here to new places. And so in an effort to do that, we have various ministry activities. And all of these ministry activities is to help to, 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 to meet you where you're at right now either to grow in your walk with Jesus or come to understand who he was, to connect with the community, to to train you up. And we have to say openly that in some areas we haven't done this well and we ask for your forgiveness. In some areas we've been preoccupied with other things and we ask for your forgiveness. But we want to be better at this. And every single one of us contribute to this relational disciple-making environment. And every ministry fits somewhere. As a ministry leader, you need to think clearly about the purpose of your ministry. If you're serving in a ministry, think about how it fits in this pathway of disciple-making. But let me ask you this. As a church, what is the primary way that we connect with people who don't know Christ as a church. What do you think is the primary way that we want to connect with people? I don't want to embarrass anyone, so I'll give you the answer. The primary way that we want to connect with lost people to see if they're looking for answers is through relationships. You have relationships that I don't have relationships with. You have a reach that I don't have a reach to. Every single one of us have relationships with people that are unique to us in our circumstances, in our different relational environments. So every single person here, this is why we emphasise so much that relationships are, are important. And some of you have been through life to life to learn how to live the witnessing lifestyle and to build meaningful and purposeful relationships. But we don't want to just be friendly with people, do we? We want them to discover who Jesus is. So we have many different activities, ministry activities for children, particularly to to win them to Christ. But the primary way that we see to be able to help people understand who Jesus is so that they become a new believer is a Bible study in discovering who Jesus is. So that's not a Jesus disco, right? (laughs) But it's a discovery Jesus Bible study. Now that's a general term. It might be Christianity explained. It might be alpha. It might be life works. But we want to be inviting the people we know into an environment where they can discover who Jesus is. Because ultimately... They need to know Jesus. They don't need to become religious. We want them to experience a real personal relationship with Jesus. And so we want to be deliberate in inviting them to discover who Jesus is. 
Well, what happens when they come to know Jesus? The next step, you know, we can invite them to church, we can invite them into our core groups and things, and they're great build activities to be able to build their faith. But this is why you've heard us speak so often recently about foundations. Foundations is a very deliberate step for new believers or newcomers to the church here to be building the spiritual foundations, the the spiritual foundations that Jesus gave his disciples, we want to be able to pass on to you. And so in a few weeks, we have a foundations group starting. Right after school holidays, we have a foundations group starting. So if you're new to this church or a new believer, this is your next step to do foundations. There's a lot of us who have been here for some time. Um, What's your next step? As a maturing believer, um, we would encourage you to do foundations as well. But as a maturing believer, we see that there's really two opportunities for you. First of all, there's an opportunity to serve and have evangelistic training. Okay? We have many ministries, kids and adult ministries, where you can serve and be trained in um, ministry work. But there's also the, the step of evangelistic training, specific training of being able to share your faith. Life to life is one aspect of that training. And the reason that some of you went through life to life was to be trained in how to relate one-on-one with people. Uh, We also want you to be trained in how to run a Discovery Jesus uh, Bible study of some kind. Um, A lot of us who have been believers for a long time have never run a Bible study to help introduce someone to Christ because no one has shown us how. And so as a leadership, we want to show you how. We want to be able to train you. We also want to um, expose you to other areas, other people groups, uh, and, and do mission training as well. Um, We want you to be well-equipped to be able to share and to care for those new believers um, in that process. And then finally, a a step that we're still yet to develop but we want to see put in place is uh, having multiplication teams. Um, Leaders develop to be able to go out into other places to start disciple-making environments elsewhere. So my question to you today is, where do you see yourself? Whether you've been here a long time or a short time. Whether you're young or old. Every single one of us have a part to play. Every single one of us is getting an invitation from Jesus to say, come, come to the next level. You've been where you are for some time now or for a short time, Keep coming, keep, keep coming deeper with me. And that would be our invitation to you. What's holding you back? Maybe there's something in your life that you need to adjust, a priority that you need to reset to make room to respond to God's invitation. What's holding you back? What do you need to free up? And ultimately... I ask you again the question I began with. What would you like to be able to say now to yourself at the end of your life? 
wouldn't it be fantastic if we could say, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. The good thing is we're not in this alone. We're in this together. God has gifted us with his word to see what Jesus' life looked like. He's gifted us with the Holy Spirit to encourage us. He's gifted us with each other to build one another up. And he's gifted us with a divine purpose that only his believers know. Oops, sorry guys. A divine purpose. He's inviting you today. Let's pray. I just want to give you a moment just to speak personally with Jesus. How has he been challenging you? Talk to him. Lord Jesus, we can only imagine what it was like for you to be able to say to your Father, I've glorified you. I've completed the work. I've finished the task you've given me. Now the hour has come. Lord, we... We desire for our lives to glorify you. We would desire to say at the end of our life, we've brought you glory. We've finished the task. We've run the race. The hour has come. We don't want to waste this life any longer, Lord. And Lord, we see a world around us with so much suffering so much despair, in need of hope, in need of your peace, in need of you. We thank you for those who you sent into our life, who lovingly reached out to us, who shared the good news of you with us, who demonstrated what it's like to live with you. We thank you for those who have sown into our lives. And Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to become, as a church, more effective at multiplying disciples because the world is need of a doctor in need of healing. Hear the cries of our heart this morning, Lord, and we hear your invitation. May that continue to resound in our minds and our hearts this week.
for your name's sake. Amen. I look forward to unpacking the rest of John 17 next week.